Welcome to the Founders Foyer with me, Ashwarya. This foyer is full of conversations, the space where creators, founders, and builders look for all the foundational concepts and supports to grow their ideas into products. Being a first-time founder is definitely fun, challenging, and more than anything, a roller coaster ride. Whether it's transitioning from being an operator or scaling up a side project to something big, the energy and focus are like unparalleled. So what's it like to hit the start button for foundership? And what are the things to keep in mind, trade-offs to handle during the sessions and uncertainties to wait for? Let's chat with the one and only Aarti Ramamurthy, entrepreneur, creator, product advisor, and a bearer of so many other hats. Aarti runs the Good Time Show with her partner, Shiram, and she formerly led product teams at Clubhouse, Netflix, Facebook, and Microsoft, while also co-founding two amazing startups. Hi, Aarti. Uh, hi, hi, Aishwarya. This is so fun. Thank you so much for having me. I just like listened to that whole intro and I was like, wow, that was really well done. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you for being here. And yeah, it was definitely fun writing the intro for you because I'm like, you know, I don't want to like put labels there because I, I, I just have so much to talk to you about considering like you've had like a very, very versatile background. So uh, yeah, first, you're, yeah, you're very kind. I, I think the other way to say it is just jack of all trades. I've just like been fairly <laughs> random and tried to kind of go where my curiosity takes me and try to do different things and not kind of get siloed in one thing. So yeah. it's, it's been really fun and interesting, but it's also been, it's been a lot of learning as well, just trying to do different things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the core themes of um, the founders for you as well. Like for people who are um, very curiosity driven and, you know, there was really one of my uh, questions to you in, in, in the show as we progress and you like brought it on right in the intro. So yeah, I, I'm definitely like waiting to dig deeper onto uh, the awesome. whole curiosity part of it. But yeah, how is it to be on the other side, Aarti, after, you know, like hosting shows with people? Yeah, I think uh, now I'm starting to get used to it. Uh, so we started the show called The Good Time Show uh, about two years ago. And initially we started it as uh, a live audio platform. Like we started it on Clubhouse. And so no video um, it happens mm. live and it was also during the peak of the pandemic. And, you know, as you, you know, I'm sure you remember, it was all this time of social distancing. Uh, people just stayed at home. And so this was a time where everyone kind of felt lonely and uh, joining the clubhouse conversation felt like you were a part of something else. It just gave you that little bit of respite from just being alone by yourself. Um, and so it, the show just really started taking off then. Um, mm. and you know, since then this summer, we moved it to video as well. We moved it to YouTube and, uh, it's been really fun and video is a completely different beast compared to audio. Um, and being, and you know, with video, we've been the hosts of the show. We've do like one interview a week or so. And right now I think we are at like 25 ish episodes on video. Um, and so it's, it's definitely interesting to be the guest on a show because part of me feels like I have a lot of empathy for what you're going through, where you want to structure the conversation. I'm sure you're thinking about how this flows, how you're going to like thinking about adding value to your audience and whether it's actually useful for them. Uh, but part of it is also, um, you know, trying to make sure that there is this good guest host dynamic uh, yeah. and trying to make that happen. So I fully empathize <laughs> with where you are and just really happy to be here. 
<laughs> thanks for like actually covering what it takes to be on the behind scenes right and like yeah. i think that's also like the fun part if, if you really enjoy being in the conversation with folks that you know you you would really love having chat with so uh yeah i think, I think so. i'm like yeah super super excited on that and good to know that um uh you, you love being a guest as well here yeah arti i i you know want to start with the whole uh, background of yours because uh, folks have obviously like known from some of your earlier talks about how you picked your first career with microsoft and then you moved on to the valley and 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 the yeah. stories that come after that but um, yeah. i would like to dig uh, more into who arti was as a person like you know from being crazy about maths to taking up engineering and going ahead to build products you you explored tech when tech itself was exploring uh, in 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 its own times so how was yeah. it to pick a career back then when everything was so explorative and uh, like when you look back now how do you see uh, it to to have grown as you connect the dots um yeah great question i think uh, so my background back story quickly is i grew up in chennai uh, new delhi first and then chennai after and uh, kind of you know very typical kind of a bringing um didn't have a computer for a long time and i think at some point my dad uh got us uh, a pc for the house like windows mm-hmm. 6.1 um later on like windows 95 and we started like kind of i started playing around with oh this is kind of what a computer does um and at that time too um it was fascinating but i didn't know how to write code and i started picking up basic programming um and i think uh, my dad got us like a phone connection with like internet the dial up internet of that time uh, and that was a game changer right like i could meet all these people online who i would not generally would have met because they're not like my neighbors or anything and so we would like hang out in these communities where you know if you liked physics you could like hang out in a particular chat room with like physics enthusiasts like the the yesterday of like reddit chat rooms but like you know Uh, back then of that time and so that was really fun learned a lot that's kind of where i was like wait this is really fun the internet is great it's really going to explode um you know at some point you know dial ups and the speed's going to get better i i should really learn how to go program not so much to go make a living or like a business opportunity but it just felt like there was this yeah. promise of this new place this new space that i didn't know about and you know for me um I still think there is so much power if you're interested in computers and computer science with respect to how much you can do with how little like if you have like a reasonable internet connection with a laptop in your house you can build incredible things like so much of the content available for learning is free lots of people willing to help uh, which I think is very different from at least for me from like other industries like say architecture or mm. you know medicine or anything else where you need to have structure you need to like learn from a particular kind of you know have a more structured disciplined way of like you know thinking mm-hmm. about uh, ramping up and so right. that was exciting that was promising um started picking that up started writing some code um met a few people including shriram uh, at that time on like just nerding out on projects like writing code for fun um and it just you know i remember having a track in like after you finish 10th standard in school where you get to pick you know what you want to go major in like you know you want you either pick biology or computer science and it wasn't even in a question like in my mind i was like i i can't i just can't believe that somebody actually would go pick biology like this is just <laughs> not a choice for me and i ended up picking up computer science 
Um, and again, I when I graduated, this was right after like dot com bust and everything, and computers were like people were telling uh, folks to like stay away from computers. They thought it was a fad. Uh, don't get a degree here. There are no jobs here. I remember just like walking into my college, PhD Tech Coimbatore, doing a master's in software engineering, and even the seniors who were graduating that year, like, but why? Like, of all the options, why did you pick this kind of thing? So it just it felt really sad to like pick up computer <laughs> science. But to me, I felt like I was very interested in it. I couldn't possibly think of like another career path, and I felt like if I was good enough in this, I can like build something and make it happen. And so, yeah. honestly, a lot of it was like blind faith. It was not <laughs> strategic. It was not structured thinking. Uh, and I also got very lucky because by the time I graduated, the market got really hot again for people who are like uh, engineers, like software engineers, product managers. And so um, there was this like definite period of boom. And I just mm -hmm. happened to be lucky graduating then and ended up working at Microsoft right after college. Yeah. No, I think this is something that uh, really brings forth uh, the, the value around how you, you get to follow what your interests are, right? I mean, a lot of questions you had back then, you wouldn't have answers. But uh, looking back at it now, you're like, oh, you know, that really made sense in the hindsight because I got to do these couple of things. And um, yeah. very luckily, it connected to uh, a couple of realms that you thought it, it wouldn't exist. So, um, right. yeah, yeah, it, it, it's so good to know about the story that uh, was like, right before what the world knows around uh, Microsoft and what came after. So uh, that was actually one of um, the topics that I wanted to chat with you as well, because I, I like it when you say that you you followed interests. And, you know, when you said, go take biology. Sorry, I was one of those folks who actually had <laughs> biology interests, but then like, it, it's kind of an overlap of both computer science and biology. Yeah, so yeah I, was... no, I totally get it. And my sister, who's way younger than me, she ended up, she was the exact opposite where she looked at it and said, who takes computers? I can't. That <laughs> makes no sense to me. And, you know, she's a nutritionist now and it worked out really well for her. Um, but there was also a point in time where I was like, wow, we are like siblings, but we are so different from each other. <laughs> um, so I totally get it. And I think, it, yes, it is about following passions, but I, I, I actually think it really is more about, do you feel like you can take a bet on yourself? and make yeah. something out of it because yeah. I don't know following your passion alone is like the right strategy. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of have to like, it's, it's, it's high risk. And, you know, I think it is also unfair that when you're in your uh, teens, you kind of have to like pick a career path and that's it. Like you just fall yeah. into it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like really hard on kids. Um, and so somehow we just ended up being lucky, but it could have mm. gone any other way too. Yeah. No, that's exactly one thing that I often talk uh, amongst my circle of friends as well, that uh, if you look back, you're like, oh, wait, we were made to choose between like two hard domains and you're like, okay, just pick one and then go towards it. Because uh, with, with me as well, I can clearly see how I ended up studying biology because I, I, I really love the subject, but I also work with computers right now. So it's like, right. why can't I have like uh, an intersection? Of, of uh, you know, yeah, both of these. Why can't I, like, why can't I tie an interest across a couple of streams and which, which rightly brought to even how you, uh, you describe your career going through right like why can't I pick this because I'm more interested yeah. in making a bet out of this and I, I wanted yeah. to explore yeah. more on this totally. so yeah yeah I think in the hindsight like why should we uh, be forced to pick a certain domain and like stick to it because you know you feel like uh, somebody made a choice that you have to make a career out of this so I mean I yeah. think now there is a lot more awareness I think not now there is uh, 
definitely people being like even even after they graduate with a degree they're like well you know i i just don't think i want to go do this and mm-hmm. kind of pivot career paths and do it like you don't see a lot you don't see big numbers of it yet but i do see mm-hmm. people being able to like do it mm-hmm. um i think a lot of it comes down to can you take a bet on yourself in this other field and other industry can you go do it and two right. i think it also comes down to economics because now you're ramping up mm-hmm. from scratch in this new space which means you're going to take a few years to like you know become an expert settle in have gainful employment and all of that and I think Mm -hmm. um, you know if the circumstances work out uh, then you know you can code pursue it but it is definitely much harder right yeah yeah absolutely and with with the whole uh, recession and, and all of the other things happening right now uh, I think there's more than ever uh, chances of people wanting to uh, try uh, following some of your other interests. And I'm not calling it passion because I, I am with you on that. Like it's it's not just just yeah. blindly following your passion, but uh, trying to take a bet on your interests. So do you have right. like a certain rational around it? Like, do you say like in terms of, okay, well, this has worked out for me because I look at it from this lens of decision making. So when it comes to like building a curiosity-driven career, have you generally used a rational around it or like, you know, any steps that you would like to suggest? I mean, yeah, I mean, I wish I was like that structured about how I made decisions, but I think a lot of it, like in retrospect, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I started my career at Microsoft and a lot of what I built was infrastructure products. Like I worked on developer tools. I worked on runtimes, compilers, very low level engineering problems. Um, and that was really fun for me. And uh, in And in retrospect, it kind of worked out because I think for me, like my strengths really lie in like, understanding technology in a really deep way and Mm -hmm. being able to go up and down the stack. Like I can be a product manager. I can understand, you know, user use cases, user personas, try and figure out like what the strategy should look like. Are you seeing around corners? Are you seeing like, how do you go price things? What would go to market look like, but also then like be able to go down the stack and, you know, have this conversation with engineers on like what exactly needs to be done um what what how do you cost a particular project and so like now it all sounds like yeah those are like table stakes but I didn't realize back then that those were the skills that I was picking up and I was Mm -hmm. actually like good at doing it so I spent about six years learning that at Microsoft and so grateful for that because most people um you know conventional wisdom is like when you graduate from college don't go work at a really big company um and we did but I think for for us it for both me and Shriram, I think it worked out really well because we had incredible mentors. Um, and these were people who had spent 20 years, 25 years at Microsoft. Like they like literally definitively wrote books on the topics that they were working on. And and so it was great to just go learn from them and just kind of yeah. be that idiot who's like asking them dumb questions um, and not get judged. So we had that like layer of safety where we could just be ourselves and learn. Um, yeah. And it also like helped us figure out how successful companies get run and uh, mm-hmm. you know I, like you didn't we didn't have to like go start our own companies and learn from our mistakes first we yeah. could go like learn from Microsoft which was you know making a lot of money had could like afford to like have you know really junior people like us be able to like build products mm-hmm. um, and we learned a lot about culture structure of like shipping code what would that look like at some point I remember like looking at windows source code and being like oh my god like this is amazing um and so you know just i i feel like to a lot of people who graduate from school college college as such i would kind of say 
it's okay to go find that employment where you feel like you can go have the maximum learning because i mm. feel like there is a lot of fomo with people on what if i you know i really want to do a startup what if i don't get the chance later what if i like become stagnant in this job and i think it's like you're kind of sort of overthinking it like you have to go figure out what skill set you need to go pick up before mm-hmm. you do it so to your question you know you mentioned recession and you know we don't know what it's going to look like we don't know how long it is going to be yeah. um how deeply impacted people are going to be but you're already seeing like layoffs in different companies and all of that um i thought you know looking back covid was kind of that time frame where people at some point kind of like sat up and said wait a second like i really don't like doing what i'm doing mm. uh i feel like i've just been putting up with this thing for a long time i actually mm. want to go pick up this other skill set and just go like go into it and learn something new and mm. you kind of saw covid be that moment where yeah. people would just actually figure out like or or start working on side projects because they had all this free time sitting at home they're not socializing mm. with their friends and so we started seeing a lot of that happening which i think is really encouraging you know i i feel like a lot of people kind of like the thing that i think people struggle with is to like kind of be alone with yourself and figure out what you want to do um and i think covid was kind of like for all the bad stuff and covid was really bad all over the world um i think one silver bullet there was like it kind of made people more introspective and start mm-hmm. looking into themselves on what they want to do and what they want out of life and that yeah. i think was like kind of a positive thing yeah i think that was also the answer of what um, food helpers right now at at, at this uh, starting point in time to to go back and say okay you know i have this kind of a revelation back then so i think i could apply the same thing right now considering uh, the situation is is sort of same or like it is sort of yeah. uh, weaning around the same uh, wheel so uh, yeah. that's there and and the, the other point that i really liked about what you said is uh, go go find out what really interests you because often uh, when it comes to like let's say twitter or or linkedin or those places that i often find um, folks average out right like trying to say you know like i think like, i think these are the skills that are needed so let me just go try to look at it but it's it's never coming from the point of okay wait do i really have interest for this do i really want to like um see if this fits my um you know like uh, learning pattern right now or do i want to like learn something absolutely different so instead of averaging out uh, the skills or like trying to go around what's more trending uh, uh like you said get more retrospective about what makes more sense to you and and mm-hmm. try to like go behind the interests or goals and that's it yeah yeah exactly i mean yeah. i think finding ways to like figure out opportunities that plays to your strengths i think is yeah. is really important mm mm-hmm. absolutely yeah yeah i think that makes sense uh so yeah a, a little more into uh job product journey uh where you started with xbox live and then you yeah. you went on to netflix to uh, the build the video streaming sdk i i still remember uh marina uh, moglico you know she once said if you want to find the lady who put the button to your remote that that button to your remote just find arti you know that really stuck to me i'm like you know what i'm going to like ask arti that are you the lady who put the button to the remote and so... she was being uh, super generous about it but yeah like my you know the team that i worked on I was a product manager on the Netflix SDK team, which means uh, my job was to, and this is like Netflix from a long time ago, right? Like mm-hmm. no original content, no, no the crown or house of cards or anything else. It was all like third party studio content uh, mm-hmm. and no international. So Netflix was only US at that point. We tried to do a Latin America expansion when I was working there, but that was mm-hmm. like semi-successful, not like great. And so very, very small company as such. 
um and kind of a new bet for me coming from microsoft into like a mo- much smaller silicon valley company uh, yeah. but my job at yeah. that time was to build the netflix sdk which uh, basically the, this is a software that goes into tvs and set top boxes and blu-ray players so my job was to go work with uh, samsung or sony or panasonic um, and integrate netflix into their devices so that mm-hmm. when customers who bought the tv would like press a button they would see netflix and they can like have it integrated so they didn't have to go download the app and do things like that so uh, yes like that was one of the things that my team did is like put that net, red netflix button on the remote control but i can know i i don't think i can take like solo claim for that she was just being really generous and nice about it yeah no but uh, absolutely you definitely played a big part there so it's it's good to know that something as simple as clicking a button actually you know involved a lot of product work you know and and, and that's something that often people overlook because uh, with products the outcome that you get is 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 more uh, oh it looks so easy but the behind scenes of of what went in is something that involved like days and hours and like years of work yeah my, one of my questions was uh, was around this like how uh from being an operator working on a couple of these products to uh being a founder where you initially worked on True and Co and then you worked on Blue Boy which actually became one of the top, the top 25 startups in the valley right so how did you validate yeah. what you wanted to work on like whether it's products or whether yeah. it's like the product that you're building uh what what did you do to validate some of the work that you did um i've always wanted to start a company uh like do like a tech startup and always had the itch for it i think uh when i moved uh, to seattle i'd never actually moved like i'd never traveled outside india and so mm-hmm. the first time i traveled out i basically packed my suitcase and moved to seattle um which was like super daunting because i had no idea what it would look like like you know my vision of america was all from like watching shows like friends um yes. and so for me you know it it was like very very different because i i think i i landed in seattle last day of november or something uh tomorrow to the day yeah um, and uh and it was just really cold snowy um felt like you know and i had no kind of like winter wear because you know you're in chennai like where, what are you using <laughs> wool coats for um it was kind of a culture shock for me uh but i remember like being there working through microsoft and being like someday i want to go start a startup um and at that time the conventional wisdom was to if you want to start a company start a company you have to come to silicon valley um i don't think that's like necessarily true it really depends on the mm-hmm. kind of company now but uh, at that time that definitely was a sentiment so when i ended up joining netflix and moving to silicon valley i was like okay i think you know i can actually go do this kind of thing so i'd spent like a little over a year at netflix and i was like yeah i think i need to like figure it out so that's kind of when you know two companies basically back to back um i'd gotten started um and i think being having worked at like a really big company as like microsoft and then like a much smaller company like netflix mm. when i started my own company i think it was really helpful to have a sense of structure on how to mm. go about building things um how to deal with ambiguity like i felt like i could do product like product was like well under control because i was experienced enough to go do that mm-hmm. now i have to go learn everything else from like mm-hmm. fundraising hiring people who are like not necessarily just technical because we had e-commerce companies which means we had like fulfillment centers we needed to hire people for packing and shipping things then i had to go figure out what a shipping logistics look like and you know mm-hmm. had to deal with like this all other set of problems but the thing that gave me some a little bit of faith and confidence was that product was like under control i could do that right 
Um, and so that was helpful. And I generally say this to founders too, when you're starting something, it's like pick up the thing that you think your strength is and mm. kind of set that aside. And at some point you're going to have to like find somebody else to like replace you there because you'll have other things to go work on and solve. Um, but having something that you're really good at and you have confidence in gives you this like morale boost for yourself because a startup is is tough. I mean, there are days when you're just like thinking, are you crazy? Why did you do this? Like, why did I leave a really, really good job? And why did I start this yeah. thing? What if it fails? What will my parents say? What will everybody else say? Oh my God, like what, I have this employee who's like working for me now. What would I tell them? And oh, my investors, I don't want to let them down. And there is a lot of like guilt and shame and just, you know, confusion around like building a company. But at some point, you also have a sense of clarity. You know, you've always wanted to go build this. You know that you're like kind of sort of doing this. Uh, you may not have all the right answers, but you're well on your path to go figuring it out. Um, yeah. And so I think um, picking up some sort of experience, either as like working at a different company or being an intern for a different startup founder or something of that sort, I think is like really helpful because that mm. way you don't have to, even with, it, it's not even about the experience or anything. It's not even about the learning. It's about like your own confidence level on yeah. uh, what you think you can do versus not. Mm. Because at, at that point, early stage startups are entirely a confidence game. Um, and your own, um, your own psychology works against you and you kind of have to like manage that. True. Yeah. And uh, that, that's a great tip because uh, just try to figure out what is your strong base at and try to find all the other things that you feel unprepared for as yet and, and try to like right. close in on the loops. Right. Yeah, that, right. that makes sense. And just to take a bit deeper, do you have like a particular incident or uh, like a story that you remember from being unprepared for a certain thing and then like you constructively work towards, let's say when you were building Lumoid, for example? Yeah, Um Lumoid, I think uh, initial parts, like going through Y Combinator. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, like at that point, I knew about YC, but I didn't know a lot about it. I didn't know anybody there. Yeah. And uh, I, that was the last batch that um, PG also PG was, was in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this was summer 2013. And uh, I was like, well, you know, let's see what happens. And everybody I talked to at that time to just get advice were like, oh, it's so hard to get through YC. Like, mm -hmm. don't get your hopes up. Like everybody kind of started telling us like, oh, you're not going to get through and that's okay kind of thing. And they said, well, okay, sounds good. So uh, we had applied, we'd gotten through to the interview process. And then at the interviews, uh, I remember being there in the morning and trying to be like, like we, I think we did like one round with a few folks in the room. It was 10 minutes. I didn't feel really good about it because it was, it felt really rushed. And uh, I felt like I didn't convey all the points that I wanted mm -hmm. to, um, and uh, and then that ended, but like right at the end, I remember like flipping my laptop around being like, this is our website. We worked on this basically all night. You kind of have to like look at it. And I remember Carrie Tan like looking at it saying, that's a beautiful site. Um, you know, I mean, you put in a lot of thought into it and it felt like even if I don't get through, I feel validated. Like this yeah. YC partner who I respect, like said good things about it. Um, and uh, And I remember in Mountain View, like finishing that interview, and walking around, uh, you know, the YC office. And then uh, somebody came in and tapped us on the back and said, well, we think um, we you're not selected yet. We think we want you to come back for a second interview. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it'll be sometime later today. So just hang out here. So I remember right. like our interview, the first interview was like 9 a.m. or something. 
and i remember just like hanging out there talking to everybody else until like 5 pm or 5:30 pm or something <laughs> um maybe not maybe like 4 o'clock or something like that and i remember uh the second interview was with like pg and jessica and mm. you know i followed pg for years and years yeah. you know, i have his book um i was a lisp programmer and you know this guy is like really big in lisp and so i was like oh my god all the things i want to tell this guy i'm such a big fan so it's kind of like spellbound um and he was like i don't think your company is going to be successful <laughs> and i remember <laughs> being like i felt like how can you say that like i just kind of like got angry and i was like well here are all the ways in which we're going to make this work and you know we've already figured this out we have a couple of paying customers so i think you're like totally wrong about this and i remember him smiling and looking at jessica and he kind of like said we really try to push founders to see you know if they have conviction uh-huh. or something of that sort and i was like well okay sure um, <laughs> and i was like well that's the kind of stress testing <laughs> yeah and i was like even if i don't get through yc i'm still going to go build this company and he was like okay yeah. And so, yeah, I remember doing that and then coming out and meeting Shriram, my husband, and uh, we were getting ice cream and like the phone rings and I was like, whoa, okay, YC call. And they, I think at that time they had this thing where if you get through, they would call. And if you don't get through, they would email. Okay. Um, and the, I think there was a system like that. And so I got a call and I was like, oh my <laughs> God, what is going on? So I picked up the phone and they were like, yeah, you're in. And I was like, are you really sure? And I was like, <laughs> And they were they laughed and they were like yes but are you sure and like, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah so, and and you know it's like at that point the startup was very very early right like we had just been working on it for a couple of weeks or so but it felt kind of validated because mm-hmm. i had no business like going through yc and getting through and all of that like i was not a silicon valley insider right and and to this day i try and like do that like the last 6 months i've basically tried to like figure out how to give back to founders Mm-hmm. um and i do these like founder tuesdays um and like basically open up to office hours where mm-hmm. either you're, if you're applying to yc or you're fundraising or you're hiring your first set of people or you're you know you want to put together your first product strategy doc like whatever i can help with i try and help founders because i know how that feeling was to like yeah. be in this completely alien place starting your own thing and being like oh my god will anybody back me will any will i have any validation yeah. will like have any paying customers kind of thing and it's so lonely and uh, i wouldn't wish that on anybody so that's kind of what i've been doing for the last few months yeah and and thanks to you for doing that because uh, it's definitely uh, more um, supportive when there's a person who's done that and and who's trying to like tell you hey i'm here and like this is what i've done and here is like a couple of things that i've learned because um, a lot of things when you explain uh, just reminded me of the days back when i was toying around with the idea of the founders file and then i think in our previous call as well i was trying to tell you how um, i had this whole uh, early stage creators or founders are not trying to get enough of uh, talks or enough of uh, support because right. everything is only around like building large companies and then trying to grow things but what happens to those silly questions that you may have and like who do you bounce it off right. with how do you know right. how to do this like it brought back memories when you explain how you had the whole awesome. uh, you know like uh, the, the memories with pg and like you basically had the reward when you just got like the ice cream as a reward when you just got the whole news so <laughs> like yeah there was like a little detail in it but yeah it was, it was kind of um, fun to know about so yeah, yeah thanks a lot for doing that rt and i'm i'm glad founders are getting to you know talk to you get help from you and uh, try to use some of what worked for you in the past uh, with with your uh, work as well so yeah 
Yeah, no, awesome. I, I mean, I learn a lot doing that. I think it also helps me because uh, a lot of these ideas, especially like, you know, new spaces like AI or crypto, um, I'm also learning, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like today I like worked with a founder where we kind of started looking at stable diffusion and like pulling together like the open source code and trying to figure out how to make mm -hmm. it work for their company. Um, and that was like, it was great for me because, you know, I would otherwise like not spend that much time like learning that. So for me, it's great to like cross pollinate ideas, uh, learn something new and, uh, and founders are so capable. They're so resilient. If you've done this for a couple of years, um, like the amount that they can like teach you is, it's pretty amazing. So I like, there is, this is a fair deal on both sides. Like as much as I try and tell them the mistakes that I've made, so they don't get to make it. I think yeah. I end up learning a lot in the process. Yeah, learning a lot around different concepts, like you said, like something that you wouldn't have chance upon in the first place. Absolutely. Right. And, you know, there's one more um, thing which uh, was very interesting when you mentioned the fact that uh, as founders, especially working with YC, uh, you get more persistent with uh, what you want to go towards. It's, it's, it's a lot around, uh, do you have the confidence and also do you have that focus and energy to like uh, pursue what, what you're really pitching? So um, also the, the tie around uh, where you said uh, there was like, we were rushed and we were like, just given 10 minutes to explain what we want. So I'm just curious, do you get better at explaining your pitch? Because I, I generally don't believe in the whole elevator pitch. Or, you know, I always have questions around, but how can you just talk about something in less than a minute and try to convince people? So uh, like, do you get better as founders at trying to explain what you want with all of these, like, let's say what you go through at YC or like, how do you, how have you done that in the past? Like when people ask you to pitch and you've, you've done that with a lot of founders and, and uh, investors yourself, right? So how do you get yeah. better at it? Um, you just, you have to do it a lot. Um, I, I honestly think like for us, our fundraising journey, the first fundraising journey with Lumoid was really tough. Um, it took us like nine months or so to raise mm -hmm. like $800,000. Um, and, uh, and, you know, you look around your batch and everybody's like raising millions of dollars and they're basically like convincing folks of like the most ridiculous ideas. And it's like, it's all great. And uh, they're like, but why can't I do that? And uh, you kind of realize like, you know, it's very easy to kind of blame it on like, oh, you know, elevator pitches are like terrible or, um, you know, yeah, at some point I was like, maybe it's because I have an accent, maybe because I don't look like a typical Silicon Valley person, but mm doesn't matter what those issues are you kind of have to overcome them like it's great that you're like wallowing in your own self-pity on trying to figure out like what are the things that are not in my favor I'm sure for everybody even the most like even the person who you look to your right and they're like oh my god this person's probably got it easy I'm sure mm -hmm. they're going through some like really shitty days too and so I think uh, I, I think at some point I was like well sure I can like think about this and be like oh my god this is going to be terrible or I can kind of figure out a way to make this work and mm. so I think I remember I think I emailed like over 250 um, investors angel investors wow. and I took checks of like any sizes right like any size check um, no minimums nothing and uh, I remember meeting about 80 plus investors in person mm. um, and then from there like the funnel went down to like I got checks from like 32, 33 investors, something like that. And this is like mm. the smallest amount you could possibly think of. Yeah. Up. Um, and so it it was a grueling fight. But what that really helped me do is I got really good at pitching. And I got really good at telling my story. Mm. Um, and I also think 
it helped me get better at reading the room and understanding right. the psychology of the investor because a lot of it about fundraising or even about recruiting is to like put yourself in their place and figure out like what resonates with them mm. and try and like double down on that um, yeah. and you know you still want to like say the things in the context of your company but you kind of want to pick an angle which they're familiar with and mm. you want to like you know use that and so i think you know, again, all in hindsight, because at that time I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. Why is it taking so long? Um, but it it helped out. I also think it really helped us figure out how to be scrappy. Um, mm. And I see a lot of founders talk about being scrappy, but boy, we knew how to be scrappy. Like every cent counted. Like we were like, you know, we didn't have runway and we had people yeah. on the team. And so we had to be very, very careful about like what we were spending on. Mm. And so um, that, like, I think, yes, communication for sure, but also like a bunch of other skills that we picked up because of just like the early stage hardship you go through as a founder. Mm. Yeah. And and this shows like a clear example of how there are like so many other factors than product, because often we are clouded with the whole, but I need a product to sell. But, um, yeah. you know, behind that, there are like so many other things to focus on. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, throwing light on that, Ashley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on on a very uh, similar line, uh, I I love how Sheeram and a bunch of others call you as the dashboard nut because it's like a very <laughs> like a nice name to go by, of course. And yeah. uh, since you work with founders uh, through these founder Tuesday sessions and and as otherwise, uh, there are like so many um, you know vanity metrics focus right now because there's like always overwhelming talks around. Hey, you know what's what's your runway like, and what's your uh, daily active users like, and uh, you know did you did you cross this line, and did, did you get this metric? So, how do you usually advise new founders to focus on, uh, especially the one that matters the most for them when there's like sea of other uh, you know uh, things to bottle yeah. them down? Yeah, great question. I mean, I I love numbers. I'm very left brained as a person, uh, and I think for me it's like, uh, when I remember joining Facebook, and. Uh, being like wow I'm such a good fit for this company everybody is a dashboard nut like everyone loves <laughs> looking at numbers this is amazing and it just felt like I'd found my tribe of people um, and uh, even I had like an even more of a culture fit than my own startup which was kind of insane <laughs> um, but yeah I think uh, there's no one size fits all every business is different what metrics work for you might not work for somebody else um, yeah. but in general depending on like the space that you're in. I mean, if it's payments, you kind of sort of look at like, you know, what is the business model there? If it's like a SaaS-like model, then, you know, ARR as such. If you're looking at like, you know, other sorts of like FinTech kind of uh, companies, then you look at GMV. Um, if you're looking at social community products, I don't tend to look at like MAU, DAU kind of numbers. Mm -hmm. I think those are like fine. I kind of start to look for like time spent on the app. Yeah. Uh, if that is good and retention is good, I think mm -hmm. you kind of, there's a story there. Oftentimes uh, the revenue you make or profitability or all of that are like lagging indicators. Um, and so I, you know, I generally start looking at like, are people interested in what you're building and mm -hmm. are they spending time utilizing what you're doing? Like, is there value for people? And I also, you know, as much as like, it's easy to talk about metrics and kind of be, you know, hardcore about like, you know, numbers and dashboards. There is also, I feel like a lot of founders just kind of uh, 
you know, forget the fact that you have to actually go talk to real customers. You have to like understand what it takes yeah. to like, do they actually like what they do, what they're, you know, leveraging or using? If it's an API that you're shipping, how do they feel about it? Uh, yeah. How, like, how is the integration cost? Like, you know, and, and I think uh, founders want to do this. It's not that they don't. It's just mm -hmm. that of all the things to stack rank and prioritize, it almost always falls off. Or they get where they have this selection bias on like, <laughs> I spoke to my neighbor and my neighbor said it was great. I spoke to my dad and my dad said, this is the best thing he'd done. And you're like, well, okay, but have you spoken <laughs> to somebody who is not otherwise incentivized to say nice things to you? Yeah. Um, and kind Reminds of reminds me of that. the mom test uh, book as well, right? Like that tells you like, oh, obviously you have to make, uh, I mean, you, you, you have people lying to you. So how do you make them say the truth to you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, if you had asked my mom, she would tell me the absolute truth, like the hard truth, <laughs> almost to a point where I'm like, well, okay, cool it. Like, I know it's like, it needs work. But um, I think, yeah, the, the, the numbers are good, but the numbers are basically a means to an end. Uh, mm. And for me, it helps me like simplify things into like a business equation of sorts where I can kind of understand right. it. Um, and it's much easier to talk about that because then there are like definite quantities that we can talk about mm. as mm. opposed to being like, this user felt this way, this user felt this other right. way kind of thing, which is when you talk to founders, it's really hard to have like a structured conversation in a short amount of time. So mm. I tend to like look for data as mm. like a way to just accelerate the conversation and figure out where I can add value. But mm. again, like, you know, I, I think a lot of people just lean into this and say, well, we need to really think about like numbers. We need to think about dashboards. We need to, and they start kind of like doing a lot of investment in that area as yeah. opposed to like actually building the product. And I'm like, no, like none of that stuff, like your beautiful charts and dashboard does not matter if your product doesn't work. Um, and so you kind of have to like figure it out. And uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure like your audience is like not so much like in that zone, but every once in a while you'll see founders who are like, but you have to check out this dashboard that we built. And we spent a lot of time like custom building this thing. And, and you're like, but why? Like, you know, you guys are like a two person startup with like less than five customers who are willing to pay at some point you can like make this really nice invest in it but right now just like run like the only advantage you have as a startup is speed might as well like leverage that and just keep going um yeah. so yeah it really is about like prioritizing the right things yeah like the numbers definitely give uh, a sort of uh, structure and and give you gives you like a boundary to talk about but um that should be thought about as an outcome, like you said. Uh, when there's no product, you basically don't get numbers. But this this yeah. acts the opposite way, where uh, at times people tend to over-focus on the numbers. And even when it's not an outcome, but trying to more um, synthesize that outcome, even when there's no you know product in hand. So yeah, it could yeah. easily backfire if you don't do it the right way. That, that totally. That's clearly shown. Yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So uh, are there like, you know, particular things that uh, these founders struggle with when it comes to like um, get, getting these numbers right like let's say there's there is an absolute need to to look at these numbers but is there like a trend or a pattern that you've noticed where you say like you know founders of this this kind usually struggle here and this is where like I help them with I think uh, yeah general broad patterns and you know these are just like patterns it's not um, not to read too much into them hmm. but first time founders you can always tell a first-time founder from a second-time founder. Uh, like for me, second time around, I could like tell, like I knew mm -hmm. there is this this certain level of maturity that comes from second-time founders where 
they've seen it they've seen like the early struggles the journey um mm. and uh, and what it takes to like build it out and so i mean they'll probably make mistakes but at least it'll be different from like the ones that they made the first time right uh, first time founders are more idealistic um they are less grounded in the sense of like i kind of like that like non cynical view that they have which is like i can do anything you know if we build this like lots of users will come use it and then we will be like a billion dollar company in like a couple of years and they'll just like lay out this plan where you're like <laughs> you kind of want to sit back and be like man like i wish i was like as idealistic as you are kind of thing and you feel like you know there's a part of you that feels like am i so jaded am i so cynical that i don't <laughs> see it um but you also want to like give them the right kind of framework to think about like okay how do you think about scaling how do you think about competition how do you think about mm. um you know finding growth if you're looking at international expansion like trying to be strategic as opposed to mm. kind of basing it off of like i have this feeling that things are going to work out kind of thing so yeah. i think i spend a lot of time trying to figure out what that balance is where i don't want to make them cynical and jaded but i also don't want them to feel like you know why didn't this person just give me advice sooner like i've yeah. like, you know this is the reason why i went and spoke to her kind of thing mm -hmm. um other stuff when to go hire people when to hire your like team of execs when to hire um like people to replace the functions that you do mm -hmm. um and it's different for different companies but at some point you're going to have to figure it out most founders do it too late and then they're like burnt out or they don't trust the person that they've hired and there's just a lot of issues that comes out of it that um i focus on fundraising and fundraising is this whole like you know for a lot of people it can be challenging because you've never yeah. like in life you don't generally go about asking people for money uh and so it's a very different kind of psychology skill set all of that so it's part sales but also part like you know storytelling part like product vision and just being this like enigmatic founder persona who can like you know talk about the metrics like you kind of have to like check all of these check boxes mm. paint this vision of this future where it's going to be really successful ground it in metrics um you know give them a sense of like where they can be helpful what you're going to use the capital for so you kind of have to do part art and part math <laughs> and i think it's yeah. kind of this like big skill set so I try and help a lot with that either it's like pitch decks that I can review or introductions to other angel investors like myself like I do some mm. of that um, mm. so wherever I can help um second time founders mostly they have their things together they are like we know exactly what we're doing and a lot of more often than not they'd come to me for like angel investment mm. um and introductions like they know exactly who they need to talk to they right. um they have very specific challenges that they're trying to overcome and mm. uh, they try and like they're very explicit about the problems that they need solving and right. uh, that's like it's it's different because part of it is like you kind of miss the idealistic first time founder attitude uh, <laughs> but part of it is like it's it's like a freight train coming at you they're like they're very focused in you know exactly what they want and yeah. they spend their time just like asking you for solutions or asking like brainstorming with you and yeah. that's a different energy level altogether so i enjoy both 
Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I can see her energy as you like explain both of these types. And uh, I mean, to me, it sounds like a lot of context switching as well, right? Because like with, with the first time founders, you're more around, hey, you know, like look at these things. And I think you're not trying to cover these. But with the second category, it's more around, yeah, I think you're very specific, right. but uh, yeah, let's let's just like look at some of um, the other right. um, uh, like points in it as well. So yeah, it, right. it definitely sounds like a lot of um, painting different pictures, but yeah, sounds super, super fun. And you, I think, suddenly answered one of the other questions that I like wanted to you know get your thoughts on is, do you kind of use the same rationale when it comes to angel investing as well? Because um, helping founders automatically helps you translate uh, what you looked for in, in a certain founder before you yeah. uh, invest in their movement, like before you want to join them in, in trying to achieve it. So I think you you rightly got got your uh, essence with it. Like, how do you go about uh, uh, angel investing in their work? Yeah, I mean... Uh... And now a lot of people find me through, you know, the, either the podcast or through IG and uh, reach out. And, you know, it's like um, I almost never like will do an angel investment just by like people reaching out and saying, hey, I'm looking for angel investment. Mm-hmm. I almost think uh, you kind of sort of want to like figure out, like I like to understand what they're building, why they're building this, what their motivation is, where, you know, if am I the right person to like help them with this thing? Uh, do Are they better off just like not raising now and raising in the future? So I right. kind of want to like get into a little bit of the details um, mm. before like, you know, writing a check kind of thing. And I almost for lo- like a lot of these founders, um, the check part, like the money part itself is almost like the very last thing that they need. I think a lot of it is like, they are trying to figure out how to scale this, how to grow this, how to find product mm-hmm. market fit and all of that stuff. Mm. So um, those are the things I enjoy doing. And the thing I like a nice side effect of that is like, yeah. then I try and like work with founders who I really like, and I try to like mm. help them. They then offer to be like, Hey, do you want to angel invest and make sure. And so it like, mm. works out. So um, I don't do it as like a primary objective, but it kind of yeah. happens as like, a secondary mechanism. And it's, and that's interesting too. Yeah. It's a good buy effect to, to come uh, uh, yeah. in terms of it. And, like uh, I mean, totally agree with you on how people would like to find that um, that inner circle of supporters who would give them like more sound uh, advice and practical tips on how to go about the things. Because I mean, yeah. if it can happen more so for side projects and those little things that we uh, end up building, I, I can I can definitely imagine the scale at which it would happen for uh, like full time companies and and founders are very serious about um, what they're doing right. and they would like to like right. get some navigation as they go about. So yeah, right, so, right, exactly. Yeah. So, yes. And I love questioning people about um, the way they think and, you know, like rather than asking for specific frameworks. So I'm pretty sure that when founders work with you, they're always like, hey, do you have like a private testing method to do this? But uh, I, I, I love asking people more about the way they think, because um, uh, I, I think product is all about building that mindset. So how do you hone that mindset and what's generally your way of thinking? Like if people are just going to ask you like, Hey, Arti, what's your style of thinking? Like, do you generally go about retrospecting on, you know, these things matter the most to me and this is how I usually go about thinking? Um, it I, Yeah, that it really depends on what the problem space is, right? I mean, I don't, I feel like in my mind, I'm like very chaotic and unstructured in how I think about things. I really jump from like one place to the other. I try to make connections with like past patterns I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, try and figure that out. But, you know, when it comes to like company building and stuff, there are some very basic frameworks. I tend to look at like, who who's your customer base? 
what's the background of the founder? Why are they building this thing? Why are they, what are they solving for? What's the motivation? Uh, but then beyond that, you know, unit economics of the business, uh, revenue and scaling, what does that look like? Um, our, both of my companies were e-commerce businesses where unit economics was really important. Um, and so that kind of got me into this methodology of like thinking about, you know, what are, what are all the amounts that are coming in and what are the amounts that are leaving mm-hmm. and uh, net net, are we making money? Are we losing money? At what point are we going to be, you know, gross profitable, sure. net profitable um, and think through that stuff. And that was really helpful. I think one person who was really instrumental in getting me to think about it that way was Katrina Lake, who's the founder of mm-hmm. Fix. And she was an advisor for us and, you know, just fantastic mathematical brain to like think through financial modeling. Um, And that was really helpful. I think outside of, and and I think a lot of founders don't do that now because either they're building companies that don't really need that unit economics type of thinking um, or they kind of look at it as like, I fundraised, I have enough runway. I just need to like keep going. Um, I, I think it's healthy to have a sense of like what, what, coming in versus going out kind of like any yeah. like your own personal finance budget household budget that yeah. kind of thing just trying to think through that um i tend to look at like playing finite versus infinite games and mm-hmm. uh that's like one thing that Shreeram and i talk about a lot and you know a finite game like you know think of it like a typical video game where you start you play multiple levels and you kind of like elevate through like one to ten mm. or whatever and then you win you exit the game and everyone goes home. Um, yeah. Infinite game is a game that never ever ends. And I kind of feel like life is kind of an infinite game where you have to like, you don't do this to get to a next level, to advance into something else. Like um, a lot of people look at, go through life on like, if I help this person and did something, they would do something back for me in return. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it feels very zero sum. But yeah. I think uh, a lot of people, so the the best people I've known and a few of them like are people I look up to play the infinite game and uh, and it's infinite sum where it's like, it's not that if you get something, I don't have that something. Or if I mm. did this something for you, you do something back for me. Like it's yeah. not that. They think of it as like, I put like good things out there and then good things will like eventually come back, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I'm just going to yeah. like, keep doing this. And uh, and I think that's really powerful. Like playing the infinite game, I think is really powerful because it frees you of constraints. It mm. gets you out of this mindset of uh, limited, like zero sum thinking. Um, and uh, and it really helps you think about it as like not doing things, expecting something in return. Um, and uh, and I think it's like it's it's kind of a good way to live. It's like a fun kind of flavor to apply, especially when you look at it from like. Silicon Valley and technology world yeah. and where we are in. Um, we, like Shriram and I are very much like students, beneficiaries of that thinking because when we first came here, people would just introduce us. They would just be like, hey, you should like talk to this person. And they and like, okay, I don't know them. And they'd be like, here is an introduction. And they would just do it. And half the time I'd be like, but why did you do that? Like, what do you want from me? Why are you being so nice kind of thing? Um, and I see that now with like a lot of people who are coming, like are new to Silicon Valley. And when I mean Silicon Valley, it doesn't even, it's not even like a physical place. For me, it's like this mindset of like building tech companies kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, you kind of have to inculcate this culture of like, no, it's okay to like ask for stuff. It's okay mm. for people to like, 
connect others. It's okay to be helpful without expecting things to come back to you and all of that. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. And I don't know if that actually answers your question, but it's something that I ask a lot of people to like read up about, think about, yeah. figure out if that's something that they can apply to their daily lives. Yeah. And it does answer my question. So uh, yeah. what, what really I, I agree upon as well here is uh, often people box up their uh, thoughts around like, okay, do I play to win? Do I like uh, look at what do I get in short term? Like I, I, I put ABC things and I like get XYZ back. But um, mm-hmm. this very recent time, I was also thinking about how tech is not the place where, you know, like you try to put something in and then you immediately get it out. They're like mm-hmm. when you're working on something, you have folks who you like reached out very long back helping you right now with things uh, without even expecting anything in, in, in favor back, right? So that's right. Uh, that's one of the most uh, powerful things that can happen to us because of the fact that we have an amazing network around and uh, that we have folks that, we don't have to expect return uh, help from, but we can go ahead and help them with what we know, like share what we know about. So yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like it's, it, it also builds a very healthy environment around us. And I think more, more of that is happening around with um, platforms and with communities around, but yeah, like looking forward to uh, more people adopting that as a mindset. Yeah, no, totally. I think I'm a fan of it. It's not probably for everyone, but uh I found a lot of benefit into getting mm. into that like, state of thinking. And honestly, yeah. I, think, like, I, I think I learned a lot from just like observing Sriram because he's always been that way where mm. he would just like, you know, like this is from like him at like college, right? Like, and, uh, you, you know, just does things without expecting things in return, kind of sees it as like multiplicative than like, you know, reductive. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's like, it's a, it's a really healthy mindset to go have. <laughs> Yeah, and it's very exponential as well. Like not not just in terms of immediate returns, but exponentially yeah. helps you grow better as a person as well. So like yes, exactly. Uh, like, yeah, like without without it having like a direct impact, you kind of sense it all in the back scenes. So yes, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's great. So yeah, one of the last sections of uh, this chat, Arti, is is to do with the good time show. So you know, I remember being a follower of the show from the times of you folks launching it on Clubhouse. In fact, uh-huh. um, very recently, like I met my friend and I was telling her, "Hey, do you remember? I was actually it was Elon's show back then, and it was her wedding. So I was basically watching the wedding, and I'm like, well, Elon is also talking and Arti and Shiram are hosting. So I was like way back here with the call and looking at the wedding. So I was like, we oh, were man. like recounting the whole experience about how it used to be such a huge thing back uh, when you started out on Clubhouse and. Uh, when you said uh, how you transform the whole thing to be like a video project as well. So what I find interesting is the variety, uh, the, rather the versatility of guests that you bring through. And it's right. not just with respect to like, okay, yeah, let's just take only tech as a focus or let's just like go uh, uh, deep down, just focus on like, um, yeah. you know, stars from certain uh, industries. Yeah. But it's 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 definitely good to learn from folks who are out there doing great stuff. In fact, stuff that we barely know about, but we would love to know more about um, and, and, and learn from them. So how do you plan on running the show this way? And uh, what kind of work you put into before reaching out to each of these guests? Because content creation yeah. is a strong game, right? So how do you yeah, like, yeah. get better? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it takes a lot of effort. Um, I won't deny it. <clears throat> and uh, we try and like split up responsibilities between me and Shriram. Um, so I think, yeah, you know, like, I think you kind of covered it. One is like reaching out to guests, guest booking. That's like a whole task by itself on like scheduling, figuring out what works for them, that kind of thing. And once you do, 
get them on the show then you have to figure out like topics to discuss what's okay to talk about what's not which means on your side then it translates into like preparation like how much do you mm-hmm. want to prepare um i try to go in like semi prepared like i don't want to know everything that ever was about this person but at least like figure out some new topics things that they've been like recently working on uh so that it feels like a more relevant current conversation because at the end of the day you're doing this in service of the people who are like listening and watching the show um and so you want this to be useful for them um i think uh, preparation that's like is that's a whole other thing then you know the recording part like the actual interview itself like that's the most fun for me because mm-hmm. um it it gives me a great way like the whole good time show is like a great way for me to go learn from all these people um and asking them questions that i would like normally would ask them if i'd like sat down next to them and like you know had lunch or dinner with them kind of thing so it's just um really fun so we do the show then you have you know editing post processing thumbnails all of that stuff putting it on different platforms scaling and then people leaving comments mm-hmm. um tweets replying to all of that there's this whole like viral loop that we're trying to go figure out and then scaling the platform growing it so this is like once a week every week and we kind of like rinse repeat and do this so it it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of effort we are trying to get better at like streamlining some of these operations like now we right. have help we have people who can like help us with like you know editing the content itself uh, slicing and dicing into like reels and mm-hmm. um, short form videos and all of that stuff um thumbnail we getting help like th- things like that so that we are not like doing everything ourselves but it's still mm-hmm. fairly time consuming um but it's honestly like one of the projects that I've really enjoyed doing in recent times. Um I've never thought of myself as a content creator and now I have a lot of empathy for people who like do this do this for a living. Like we don't do this for a living, right? It's just a passion yeah. project. Um yeah. and there are people who literally like this is where their paycheck comes from which is you know, oh my god, the pressure behind that is like kind of crazy. Um I also think uh it's gotten us like you know, Sharam and I have always wanted to work on a project together. um and so i think uh, this feels like a good place like where we like kind of finally picked up a project where we can like work on something together um and so for the last couple of years this has been the project that been we've been working on and that feels really nice because you know this has been like our bucket list for a long time to go do mm. yeah and thanks to the pandemic for being an accelerator like to bring the project yeah, I mean, into actual all thanks to <laughs> totally all thanks to clubhouse you know if it hadn't been for clubhouse we would have never started it because clubhouse felt like low friction enough like there's no video yeah. you don't have to like do your hair look presentable there's none of that <laughs> stuff you kind of sort of like you know i sit in a room shriram sits in the room and we basically just like you know open up our phones and just like doing a call we just get on the app mm-hmm. and we just did it and so it got us like that friction of like being a creator it definitely yeah. reduced a lot for us Mm-hmm. uh and got us to a point where we were like confident enough to go do video and other platforms and everything else one of the other things i would love for the listeners to go uh, check out that uh, episode of good time show is the one that you do with pom because over there yeah. i remember you folks discuss a lot around what it really um, you know takes to to produce content what it really means to put something out and the kind of consistency yeah. you would need to to do that so uh, i i realize that it's 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 very relatable with folks who are both doing it full time and like folks like us who also have like a day job but try to do something out of like a side project so um yeah, yeah, yeah folks should definitely go check that out 
Yeah, that yeah, that was a great episode. Um, I I think yeah, there were a few episodes that like really stood out, right? And you look at like other people doing something like this for a living, and you're like, oh my god, how do you do mm-hmm. that? This is so exhausting. Um, but they're clearly good at it. Um, and you know they've just been able to like build a presence, establish not just on like YouTube, but all these other platforms, yeah. and like really kill it there. Um, and then you look at like celebrities especially in like the movie music industry who kind of sort of have to do this all the time and it's exhausting and i'm like wow like you're always like on message on point like trying to do this and uh it's like a totally different skill set that <laughs> i'm really glad that i didn't grow up and be like i want to be a content creator because it's <laughs> like i think i'd have been terrible at it <laughs> it, it sounds like a totally new world for us like right now like you know from what you said like Oh wait, that does as well exist. And like to think about it, the fact that uh, Gen Z and a lot of kids grow up and like your your whole professional setup gets changed. Like when people used to ask, like, what do you want to become? Uh, as you said, you would never you would never say like, well, digital content creator. So yeah, it sounds definitely exciting to see what kind of a you know like a transformational change we have had with uh, tech and with like yeah. all the days to come. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think. Uh... Yeah, I mean, we're just about getting started, right? Like there's still, most people consume content and create content. Content creation is actually still yeah. like very limited. So we have a long way to go. But I think we are like slowly, eventually getting there where people are incredibly creative. People are smart. People are very driven. So I think it's just like um, it, the tools that we build and things that we do to be able to like reduce that friction for people to start like being creators more than just consumers. Absolutely. Yeah. With you on that. And yeah, totally excited to see how this pans out in uh, the years to come. So yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much, Aarti. Uh, the show has been thank amazing you. today. I learned a lot of things, a lot of little stories that which, you know, we otherwise wouldn't uh, probably get to know about through, you know, like other videos or sessions. But thanks a lot for uh, sharing a lot of uh, what you've been through with both founding startups, as well as like working on uh, different product journeys. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Oh man, this was really great fun. I think we also covered like a, a really wide variety of topics. So I hope it was useful for some set of people or like some of it was useful for folks. And so, um, you know, would love to like see this go live and, you know, figure out if anyone has any feedback, the other stuff that they want to talk about. I'm always around yeah. all the social platforms and everything else. So this this was a blast. Thanks so much for having me, Ashwarya. Thanks, Arti. Yeah, nice.